travel, probably because it leads to such great stories. In this episode, you're going to hear about bathrooms from hell, a plane ride for Planet Gross, and a very real reason why you may never want to visit Davenport, Iowa. In addition, you'll hear from Caleb McEwen from the Brave New Workshop and the Danger Committee about some of his best and weirdest travel adventures. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Fotis, and this is Storytime Explosion. Let's do this! Hi, Mike. This is Maddie Giva calling, and I have a story about traveling for you. So about a year ago, I was on a flight, a 7.30 a.m. flight going to New York City, and I was put in the middle seat between these two um, older gentlemen, and the one, the one on the aisle seemed all right, but the one in, uh, in the window seat was a little shady. He um, ordered vodka at 7.30 a.m. on the flight, and, and that was the first concerning part. Um, and then as we, as we um, were flying, he just wouldn't stop staring at me. So I decided to turn towards the aisle and, and have a little sleep to kind of pretend like it wasn't happening. When I woke up, his head was on my shoulder, and his eyes were directly down the V-neck of my dress. Um, and I, and like an idiot, I just kind of ignored it and, and, and just politely moved his head off of shoulder. Then he started um, rustling about and, and made me move so that he could go, he could go get something out of his carry-on. And when he went into his carry-on, he was rustling around, and I thought, well, now is the part he, um, he goes and gets a gun to kill me. So that's going to happen. And he instead got out this tinfoil tinfoil can or tinfoil little package and went to his seat and opened up and it was um, a falafel and hero that somehow he had smuggled onto the flight and um, when he sat down he opened up the falafel and uh, put one hand on the falafel unbuttoned his pants unbuckled his belt and put his hand down his pants and spent the remainder of the flight with one hand on the falafel hero and one hand down his pants. And uh, the breaking point for me was not the hand down the pants, but when he offered me some of the falafel, I promptly got up and moved seats. Really scary flight. So that's my story about traveling and why I take trains now. All right, bye, Mike. Hey, it's Sam Landman. Um, you know, I drove the same car for, I don't know, 15 years. And say what you want about Saturns, but these things are freaking workhorses. After five transmissions, this car really put its miles in. But uh, as many states as I've lived in, I, I did very little pleasure cruising, just pretty much point A to point B. And the one exception was the trip I took to see Sonic Youth and Stereo Lab at a place called the Tabernacle in Atlanta, like two hours away from Birmingham where I was living at the time. It was me my bestie, Jamel, and two girls named Jennifer. Uh, at the time, Jamel and I referred to them as City Jennifer and Country Jennifer to avoid confusion because Country Jennifer was so country. 
but about a half an hour away of outside of Birmingham, I heard this thumping sound I'd never heard before. And it turns out my back tire was flat, which is another testament to Saturn, because even after five to six years, I still had the same tires that I'd driven off a lot. And I whipped out the tire, and it's spare, and uh, even though I'd never changed a tire in my life, it was like putting an Ikea shelf together. It's completely foolproof, even for me. And we're back on the road in no time, but five minutes later, there's another thump, and apparently you need to put air in these things. I surveyed the damage, and it seriously looked like a shredded paper doll. And at this point, we were just boned. I mean, this was before the advent of cell phones, so we could have literally been out there for the rest of our lives. But that's when the Jennifers hop out and start trying to flag down passing cars. Now, this is in the middle of the night on a deserted freeway. And Jamal and I gave it 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. But uh, four cars later, a Silverado stops and asks if we need help. And the Jennifers jump in, and away they go with this complete stranger. Now, keep in mind, this is this is, uh, this is the way things go in the South. There's a more trusting nature in the air. It seems it kind of seeps into people's pores. And if you think in the city, Jennifer, and country, Jennifer were idiots for doing this. You're obviously uh, not familiar with these two chicks because I'd heard a rumor that country Jennifer's boyfriend played too rough with her during the devil's business, and uh, she pulled a knife on her without missing a beat, you know, uh, pun intended. And city Jennifer's home life is no cakewalk. So we're not talking about babes in the woods here. Uh, 30 minutes and about a half a pack of Newports later, the Jennifers are back with a brand-new tire, and the guy in the Silverado even uh, put it on for us. So, honestly, this is what happens in the South when you when you travel abroad, um, as long as it's below the Mason-Dixon. Uh, we put air in it, went down the freeway, and off we went. I think we caught Stereolab's last song, but Sonic Youth's entire set. It was completely transformative and worth every blown tire. I mean, it was amazing. I remember sliding my hand in the back seat on the way back to Birmingham, holding hands with City Jennifer, like, you know, we just got through something together. This is this is an important time. But honestly, me and Jamel never made another trip with the Jennifers again, even though it was because of them that we made it out alive. Hey, Mike, this is Allison Novak, and I'm calling with a story about a road trip that I went on. And um, this is kind of a cautionary tale. Every time I've ever gotten in trouble pretty much in my life, it has been because I had to pee and I went somewhere to pee that I completely should have not gone. Okay, so with that bizarre start to the story, Basically, um, we were driving through northern, northern California on those sort of windy roads, if you've ever been there. There's a lot of sort of mountainous, hilly, very dark territory, and it sort of snakes back and forth through the hills, um, or as they would seem if you're from Minnesota, mountains. And so I really have to pee, and for whatever reason, we don't any sort of rest stop or anything forever, and we're driving, we're driving, and we finally see this little glowing truck stop sign in the distance, and we think, like, okay, truck stop, that's cool. We can totally pull off there. It'll be fine. And so we sort of get off the freeway and sort of follow this truck stop sign, which is the only light, and arrive there. And as we pull up, we notice that we're the only car, and there's maybe, like, you know, six, eight semis parked, and that's about it. But, you know, it makes sense. It's a truck stop, whatever. 
I try and go in the front door of what looks like it would be a storefront, and it's locked and all dusty. And so then I see this sort of like screen porch kind of door, and there's a bunch of light coming from there. So I think, oh, okay, maybe they just use the side door. I'll just go in there. And so I walk in, and I look to my left, and there's merchandise, really dusty old merchandise. And then standing in front of me is this guy who looks like um, he would be a cook in hell. You've got, like, you know, just the most terrible stained wife beater on, and he's flipping burgers, you know, kind of hot-bellied and greasy and surly-looking. And, you know, I say, excuse me, is there a bathroom, you know, and all nice and stupid and he just looks at me and he sort of motions with his flipper through the kitchen, like, and I say, oh, through there? And he just motions with his flipper again. And so any intelligent person at this point would be like, I'm leaving and going to pee in the woods. That would be the smart thing to do. But instead, what I do is I walk through the kitchen and into this back room. So I walk into this back room, and there's maybe, like, 15 guys, like, no joke, wearing trucker hats, like, kind of just skinny white guys, spooky, skinny white guys who all look the same and are all, like, smoking. And I, at this point, I'm like, I am maybe going to die. I am maybe going to die at this truck stop. And so then, still having to pee desperately, I look around for the bathroom, and I see the door, which I think, this must be the bathroom. And so I open the door slightly, and I see the edge of a bathtub, which is good, and then what looks like a foot. <laughs> and um, that's obviously bad, but for some reason, I'm compelled to go through the door. So I just, like, I so would be the first one killed in a horror movie. I go through this door and shut myself in the bathroom with the foot. And what I find out that the foot belongs to is actually this mannequin that has been duct taped, like her mouth has been duct taped and her feet are duct taped together. And then like they drew like bloody, like suicide, like wrist slashing kind of things on her and like have her wrists all taped up. And I think like, oh, okay, that's, where I am, I really am going to die now. And, but, you know, whatever, I'm already in the bathroom. I don't want to face any of the terrifying people outside. So I pee and slowly wash my hands and think, all right, I'm just going to open the door real fast and I'm going to run. And so I, you know, finish washing my hands and dry my hands, and that's what I do. I open the door real fast, and I just book it the fuck out of there. And my friends, who are casually just standing around the car, like, are looking at me like, what is going on? Because I run out of there, and I'm just sort of incoherently like, we need to drive away from here now. So that is my road trip story, and the moral of that story is pee outside. Hello, my name is Butch, and I have a story about attempting to get into Canada. Uh, I I had a job uh, for which I had to travel extensively all over the all over the country, and sometimes 
over the Western Hemisphere, and I was sent to London, Ontario, uh, for a job for a public health charity, uh, doing you know doing good work. Uh, but the problem is when you when you travel into Canada, uh, the clients that you are working for have to fill out a survey that that states that they cannot get the services that you are providing from a Canadian. Uh, they're all about protecting Canadian jobs. Um, which shouldn't have been a problem, as our company provided is the only provider of that service in the world. So shouldn't have been an issue, but they routinely turn us around at the border, and our clients are told that they, they don't get to have uh, our fun technology at their meetings. Uh, but we arrived in London, Ontario, myself and another technician from Chattanooga, uh, and were stopped by the Canadian Border Control and pulled into a little room, and they are adorable uh, we had one that was a younger guy who was definitely really wanted his chance to play the bad cop role, and then the older, uh, gruff uh, officer who was, you know, trying to good cop us. But they took our cell phones, our computers, every scrap of paper. They they made us enter our passwords and opened up our computers, went to our files, um, and we had told them we were coming in for a meeting, which our, our client, when they got them on the phone, immediately blew our story out of the water. So they came out with the binder uh, with the, their regulations and, and read us the penalty for lying to a border control agent, um, and you know, and said you are you are going to jail. And at which point I had to tell them that I've probably been worse places than a London, Ontario jail cell. Uh, these guys were so cute. I mean, really, they they even apologized when they said hell. They would, you know, what what the hell? Pardon my French. What the hell is are you thinking? Uh, and it was it was so cute, and and they told us we were going to spend the weekend in a jail cell, and then have to go in front of a magistrate on Monday to to face extradition. Uh, and they were shocked when we said that we weren't actually fighting it. Like they, we we said, you're welcome to turn us around and put us on another plane. We're not we're not fighting to get into London, Ontario, Canada. You can send us home, uh, which thoroughly baffled them, as we had obviously been lying to the border uh, control agents trying to get in, and then were perfectly willing to just turn around and fly home after being in the country for all of five minutes. But they are just the cutest, sweetest things. I just wanted to pinch their cheeks. Uh, but eventually they did let us in because we were working for a public charity, and they got this woman on the phone, and, and, and they explained to us that this company does good work for the community, and, and they wanted to let them have their meeting. So we got to get in anyway, but I had to cancel the rest of my Canadian trips because my ID was entered in their system. And now every time I go to Canada, I face uh, uh, extensive questioning. So that's super fun. Hey, Mike, this is Anna Weigel, and I'm going to tell you a story about one of the biggest adventures I went on. Um, so my first job out of college was to be an intern at Mother Jones Magazine. And it's this investigative uh, news magazine based out of San Francisco. So I got notification that I got the job uh, a week before they needed me there. So I'd never been to San Francisco, and I packed up everything I had, that could fit in two suitcases, a laptop bag, and a purse, and I flew there. And so I had to find roommates really, really fast, so I searched Craigslist. Um, I found four art school girls, ages 18 and 19, and they offered to pick me up from the airport, which I thought was so nice. They'd never even met me before. Um, the thing was, as I was packing my stuff, I uh, realized that I had so much that it wouldn't fit in my suitcases. So I decided to wear all of my sweaters, sweatshirts, and coats on my body in the airport to be able to take them with me. So by the time I got to the airport in San Francisco, I was really hot. I mean, the temp there's a big temperature difference. 
I was dragging these enormous suitcases behind me, plus all of this, the stuff that I had strapped to me and the coats I was wearing. So their car pulled, pulled up, and they saw me, and they, all, all uh, three or four of them were crammed in there. So I had to put my stuff in the back, and I got in the car, and I was so excited to meet my new roommates and to be in California and to look out the car windows for the first time and see things in California. And um, the problem was the heat and sweat from my body, from wearing all those clothes and pulling all that stuff, what, like, overwhelmed the very small car, and it started to fog my window and then the window next to that. And then the front window and the driver could barely see, and she tried using her windshield wipers, but, of course, it's on the inside, so they had to, you know, defog the windows with their shirt sleeves, and it was the most embarrassing thing because they were tiny, tiny little art school, school girls that just probably have never sweat in their lives, and it um, was just a really bad introduction to being in California for the first time. Um, needless to say, they turned out to be drug dealers, so I try not to think about them or that day too often anymore. Okay, thanks, Mike. Bye. Hey, Mike, it's Brian. Once a year, out of familial obligation, the girlfriend and I drive down to Indiana and Illinois and do the family thing with our parents and extended family. And a couple of years ago, we made the trip back to Minnesota through Iowa because after the kind of emotional ups and downs of dealing with my mother and then my father, the flatness was a welcome break. And we pulled into Davenport about 11.30 as we were pulled in we kind of realized maybe it was best that we not try to make the rest of the trip we would just stay there for the night and then hit the road in the morning so we stopped at a Motel 6 where they leave the light on for you as they say and it was right off the interstate off ramp all was well and good for the first half hour or so in our room just as we turned the TV off and turned the lights off to turn in we started hearing through the walls of the room drug dealing going on next door and from what we could tell it wasn't going particularly well there was a lot of motherfucking there was a lot of shouting a lot of thuds and thumps that sounded at best like pushing or shoving a lot of women crying and a lot of cell phone conversations about times and places and dollar amounts and essentially orders so we would have left except this was one of those motor lodge type motel sixes where there weren't halls it was a wide open balcony outside shared by all of the rooms on the second floor and we were afraid of running into our neighbors out on that balcony and having them deciding to dispose of us over the side of said balcony so we just laid in bed the entire night from 12 o'clock or so until 5:30 the next morning listening to this go on about 4 o'clock, things got really interesting because someone came in who apparently the head drug dealer had some sort of aggravated beef with, and they got into an extreme shouting match, and the thumping and thudding got even louder than it had been before. So long story short, 5.30, they check out for the night and are gone, and we doze off for about 15 minutes, and then kind of still terrified by what we'd lived through the night before, 
we both get up and decide it's time for us to hit the road too. And I step into the bathroom of our room because we had been terrified and glued to our bed the entire night. And when I step into the bathroom and look in the mirror, I see that the blood vessels in both of my eyes have burst. So the blue pupils of my eyes are surrounded in these red oceans of blood. We think maybe we'll go downstairs on our way out and just make a comment that they might want to be aware of what kind of clientele they have. The girl at the counter is talking to two big guys wearing like repairman uniforms, like air conditioning repairman or plumber uniforms, um, like dicky work shirts and pants that match in color. And they're just leaning over the counter shooting the shit with the clerk. And because my eyes are a mess, I'm kind of avoiding eye contact with anybody. And I have a hat pulled down, and the girlfriend is checking everything, checking out and g- giving our key card back and getting the receipt for the room. And before we have a chance to suggest that they might want to look into their overnight clientele, one of the um, air conditioner repairman type guys just said, did you have a good night's stay? And the clerk says, without missing the beat, yeah, I hope you enjoyed your stay in Davenport. And we decided, the girlfriend and I, without saying a word to each other, she just kind of looked at me, and we decided that maybe since they had our home address in Minneapolis from the receipt, from the credit card transaction, maybe it was best if we just didn't say anything at all. So we got in our car and made the rest of the trip home and have never really talked about it with anybody since. So that's my travel story. Thanks. Uh, so this episode obviously is about traveling yeah. uh, and travel stories. We've had a bunch of weird stories that I've been sort of putting together for this episode. And when I uh, came up with the idea for this episode, you popped into my head for the most part because you travel constantly. Yes. Yeah. I'm on the road a lot. And it's mostly for work, right? Pretty much all of it, yeah. Actually, I don't even remember the last time. When's the last time you even went on one that was for fun? Uh, I I've never had fun, so <laughs> never. It it has always even like going to Disney World will somehow turn into work for me. So mostly I've, for tax reasons. I've only been to Disney World once, and I spent it in the back of an auditorium listening to you MC people <laughs> for a, a corporate event. Like I'm, you could almost hear the children laughing against the wall that I, I was know, just sitting there. I know, and, and you were subjected to me for that entire time. Now you did a good job of rallying the troops. Excellent. <laughs> but yeah, I do I, I travel a lot for work. It's not unusual for me to, you know, be in the air four times in a week. Uh I've been to most of the 50 states and 14 countries, and it's uh, and it, it gets grueling. And the more time you spend on the road, the more it becomes uh, almost like this altered reality for you, where you're kind of in this dream state as you're traveling. And uh, I almost think it's an altered state of consciousness if you do it all the time, because you you stop paying attention to things that other people find incredibly important. And... Uh, 
you you kind of lose your your compass on the world because when I travel, it's mostly alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that most of our experience is defined by how we relate it to other people or we someone else experiences it with us, and that gives us a different lens to go through. But when you're isolated and traveling and by yourself, I think you start to lose grip on reality a little bit. How so? I don't, I don't know. Like you... You're in different time zones, you're in places you're unfamiliar with, and you start to realize, you know, I've been married a long time now, and I I realize how much uh, I solidify my reality by discussing it or experiencing it with my wife, and, you know, uh, just by being outside of any kind of normal routine, you don't have those touchstones that you uh, typically associate your life with, and, and... it makes everything feel like you're kind of in this waking dream. And then weird things happen, and again, when weird things happen and you're with a friend, you can laugh about it, you can joke about it, you can talk about it, whatever. <laughs> but when, when you're, you're alone, you just have to internalize yeah, everything. It. <laughs> yeah, it just it, it like it gets in, and you you literally start to question that like did it really happen or not? Because and you try to explain it to people, and it's it's difficult and uh, it's a weird weird thing and and it has changed my life and I feel like it has changed my consciousness a lot just being on the road a lot. Well, tell me about Tampa cuz Tampa sort of encompasses a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I I flew into what happens a lot of times when I'm traveling is I fly in the late afternoon and I get in late at night because of how my work schedule pans out in most cases and then I normally have to be up early the next morning and I have trouble sleeping anyway. And when I'm going to different time zones and getting in very late, and then you have to get up in the morning, I start to stress out about sleep. I don't get it. I can't fall asleep then because I'm worried about it. And and I had been in a real heavy period of travel. And I flew into Tampa, and I actually was staying in St. Petersburg, so that's a long drive. And uh, at the time, I think I took a super shuttle, which is one of the worst choices any adult can ever make because there there is nothing super about a super shuttle you'd almost rather walk you re- yes i i could have kayaked there were any number of things i could have done to get from tampa to st petersburg but i made the worst choice and i went on a super shuttle and it ended up being delayed and i got in very late and i checked into a hotel which will remain nameless and it's like 2 a.m and i go up to the front desk i check in there is no one else around no one anywhere. And I go to my room, I get in, I have to get up at like 7 a.m. I have I have to be somewhere at 7, so I'm going to get up earlier than that. And I kind of go in and I set my toiletries in the bathroom. I get my stuff out of my suitcase and hang it up so I can get the wrinkles out of it. And, and uh, I'm like undressing and I'm about to go get in bed. And then my door just swings open. <laughs> and this middle-aged guy with a suitcase walks into the room and then he is confronted with the half-dressed me and he just stands there and we both just freeze for a minute and they're just like deer in the headlights just staring at each other and not moving and not breathing and he's in the same situation I am he's going is this really happening you know and he he looks at me for a second and he's the first guy who actually ends up speaking and he goes this is my room (laughs) And I look at him and I go, it's mine too. And he goes, I have a key. 
and I point to mine, which is sitting on the nightstand, and I go, I do too. That's how I got in here. We stare, and there's another long silence, and he goes, but this is my room. And I look at him, and I went, but I got here first. <laughs> and he, there's a long silence as we're both standing there again, and he looks at me and goes, I think I'm just going to leave now. <laughs> and I said, I think that would be best. And he turns around and he goes back out the door. And what had to have happened was I checked in and they gave me that room number. And then that guy came in within five minutes yeah. and they checked him into the exact same room. And they, they coded the key the same way. And there couldn't have been anybody else there because it was in the middle of the night. And... Uh, somehow the young lady at the front desk managed to check two people into the same room within five minutes and not notice. Did I ever tell you about the time we were we were both on this event and it was in New Orleans and yeah. it was in a gigantic hotel complex kind mm-hmm. of thing and essentially all you guys had your room to the right of this certain hallway and my my room was to the left and I, and the room i in my section they were still doing work on it so there yeah. were like two or three people in the entire wig it was really really creepy and there's <laughs> workers everywhere it was kind of like and then in other sections it was just empty it was sort of like the shining a little yeah. bit so i went in same thing like we had one of those like take a nap for an hour and a half and then we have an hour long show in the evening or whatever so i'm trying to do that i'm lying down it's really really quiet and the entire wing and then as, as I'm starting to fall asleep my door rustles open right and I'm like what the hell what the hell's going on and this guy this Mexican guy on stilts is standing in the doorway because they've been spackling the hallway nice and he was just gonna come in and so start spackling it was my like room. an a drywaller on drywall yeah, stilts. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. And not I'm like, like Cirque du Soleil guy just showed up out of a Fellini nightmare. And no, he, but because the hallway was illuminated and my room was dark, <laughs> it was just this man. And I'm like, you have to get out of here. I'm, I, somebody's in this room, and he's just staring at me. And there was not a language barrier. Yeah, he was gonna. He was deciding whether or not he was gonna just keep working. <laughs> and eventually, he just sort of stilted out and. It is amazing. You think you're safe in hotel rooms, yeah. but you're so not. No, you're not. You're not at all. There, there, uh, Literally thousands of people could have access to your keys, and you don't know how they lock. And, and, you, you know, and I think that's there is like this perceived safety when you're traveling. You know, some people, I think, get paranoid when they go to new places. And then there are other people that view it as this kind of... Uh, sterile perfectly safe experience you know i'm on vacation nothing can hurt me and yeah. i i had it and like it affects your judgment and i was doing a show in japan and uh, was in tokyo and was with my wife and i were both performing and uh we were trying to do as much sightseeing as we could while we were there we were there about two weeks and we were in tokyo and we decided to get up early and go to the fish market and I'm going to say the name of it wrong. I think it's like Tsukiji mm-hmm. or whatever. But the, all the fish come in from all the major fisheries and the, the ships and all of that stuff very early in the morning, you know, like like 2 a.m. or stuff. And, and then they start processing them and selling them. And it's this massive fish market. They're calling it a fish market doesn't do it justice. It's, it's like many, many football fields worth of 
fish, you know, that are the size of trucks that they're auctioning off to sushi restaurants and all kinds of things. You know, and single fish are selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's crazy. Uh, we had never been at that point. We decided to go, but if you're going to go, you have to get up at 3 a.m., you know, get on a subway, get there at like 4 a.m., and then walk to it and yeah. everything. So we get up and we decide we're going to do this, and, and we're already way jet-lagged from being in Japan. And we get up, and we're tired, and we're disoriented, and we uh, we get to the, the subway stop, and we get out, and we expected it to be kind of right there, but it wasn't. And there was no sign of, and you know, everything's in Japanese. It's not the most technologically advanced or Western-friendly part of the city. And it's, even though tourists go to this, it's not exactly a tourist attraction. No, it's yeah. it's not like going to Disney World right. or, or something like that. It is. It's kind of off the beaten path. You have to want to go there, and right. everybody hears about it. Um, but it's not like it's been set up to because it's it's a place of business. And so we're kind of walking, and there are other people that are there, obviously, for the same thing, but not with us and other groups. And they kind of break off in one direction, and, and before long, it's just kind of my wife and myself. And we're walking along, and we think we're going in the right direction, but it's hard to read the map. And then all of a sudden, there's this Japanese guy who's a little way is ahead of us. He's like 10 feet, 20 feet in front of us, and he's got on like hip waiter boots, and this funny little hat and suspenders holding up the boots. And then he's got an iron hook in his hand. You know, like a gaff hook or right. something like that. And he's, he's standing there and he turns and he looks at us. And he just kind of gestures to us like a kind of, come here. Come here, follow me. <laughs> and he turns and he starts walking away. And we kind of stare at him. And, you know, remember, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning yeah. right now. It's dark out and we're walking through alleys and stuff. And he... He, we goes a little ways and we're not following. He turns back and he doesn't say a word, but he kind of gestures, you know, this time with the hook, you know, come on, this way, this way. And we kind of look at each other and we're like, yeah, let's follow this guy, you know, because of course he's, he, yeah, you know, it's yeah. safe. And so we're, we're following him and, you know, at this point we veer off kind of the main street or whatever and we are following him through alleys and we have no idea where we are or where we're going. You know, when we get deep back into this complex, we're like, we couldn't find our way back out if we wanted to. And at that point, it slowly dawns on us that we are following a guy we don't know right. in a foreign country into a back alley, and he's got an iron hook in his hand. You know, this is this is. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, last it summer. is. It is. It's like, and it's it's one of the worst choices you could possibly make. And we are we are happily doing it <laughs> because it just seems like the right thing to do. And eventually, the guy actually does. You know, like we open. It's like we walk between these buildings, and then all of a sudden, it opens up into this massive area, and you know giant fish are laying out and they're auctioning off the fish and he kind of walks sort of into the middle of it and turns back and because we never got real close to him and he never said anything yeah, yeah. and he kind of turns back and looks at us and he kind of puts his hands up and turns around almost like uh, uh, Julie Andrews and the sound of music <laughs> like here it is here is the wonderful place I promised you with my gestures and then he just walked away and we never saw him again and but uh you know, it worked out at that point, but again, just a really poor choice. I'm the opposite. Like I, I think I, I just assume I'm in Target the entire time I'm on vacation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I didn't necessarily feel it in Tokyo too much, but whenever I'm 
just sort of out and about. Like, I just feel like I give off some type of, like, odor <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. just says, you should get this guy because he doesn't know where he is and he's a really easy mark. So I'm just, I wouldn't say, like, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder, but if I'm walking back at night from anywhere, yeah. like, this happened to me when I was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was a really nice trip. We never really were in any sketchy neighborhoods, but at night, walking back from anything you would have thought I was in a speed walking competition because yeah. I just had this like get to your hotel, <laughs> you're a victim right now. You know what I mean? Well, it's, and that's, I've I've gotten to the point where I am the exact opposite now because in some ways I travel as much as I stay home. Uh, so I've just gotten like there are so many things that I used to worry about or care. You know, do I have my boarding pass printed out? Is everything packed? Did, am I going to be to the airport on time? That I do not care about at all anymore. I don't even think about it. Yeah. And people will go, you're flying out tomorrow. When do you leave? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'll check tonight because I do it so much. And, you know, I show up places and I don't have things. But, you know, I've I've realized, oh, you know, well, I... There are very few places where I'm traveling where I can't get deodorant or if a I, sock or a sock yeah. or something if I need it. And but then by the same token, I've also gotten to the point where I'm not afraid of getting lost. I don't care if I know exactly where I'm going. I'm like, I'll, I'll get there eventually, just because yeah. it's always worked out up to this point, and that will eventually be my undoing. That's how I will become a statistic and disappear, you know, somewhere on one of those back streets in New Orleans. But yeah, oh yeah. I felt that way in Japan, like when we were in the electronics district, just because it was so crowded and I was with two other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys went to Mount Fuji to adore beauty and we were like, let's walk around to the most crowded well, part of the city. Well, then there was one time that we, you know, like I went with you there at one point, but I think you guys went back. Yeah. But I was like, it was like a nightmare to me. It was just so loud and so crowded. And there was nothing there that I like. I that was one place where I was like, "Oh, I want I want to get out of here." And it wasn't yeah. I wasn't scared. I just I just couldn't take it. It was an overload. I wasn't scared either, and I actually kind of liked it. Like I yeah. I like I like that about cities. It but I impressive. did have this moment where I was like, "I'm thousands of miles away from where I live. I can't find the two guys I'm with." Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? There's yeah, this yeah. if somebody grabbed me right now, no one would ever hear from me again. It would be the perfect missing person story you know and like that's what goes through my mind constantly those kind of macabre horrible things well i was like uh, i know i'm telling a bunch of stories here and you could just choose if there's one that you like or not but one that uh you you start to realize how different other cultures and other places are and what is commonplace and in other places and how sheltered in existence we live right uh where we you know i worked for of all things Walt Disney uh Disney Corporation on Disney Cruise Lines for 6 months we sub they subcontracted us to run comedy theaters and uh I lived in crew quarters and I actually had a really nice single crew member cabin which was a rare thing most people had to double triple or quadruple up right. in rooms and the guys right across the hall from me were in uh that <laughs> they were in that situation. There were four guys living in a room that was about the size of mine. And uh, they worked in housekeeping, and uh, I, they would be having dice games outside my door <laughs> at like 4 o'clock in the morning. And they were all from they were, they were from uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And 
I get you know I became friends with them and and because it was almost like the mob you had to you had to get in with these guys and right. and you know and they watched out for you and you watched out for them and stuff because it was it was kind of a weird culture on the ship but at one point some talking with these guys and uh you know most of the people that worked on the ship had worked on another ship at some point and I was like you know so have you guys work on other ships before and they're like yeah yeah and I was like what kind of ship cuz a lot of them have been like oil tankers and things like that and they said oh we we worked on a speedboat and I'm like a speedboat what do you what do you mean you know a, you know a fast a fast boat you know and I was like what'd you do on that and they meant you know man we we ran things and we ran things what do you <laughs> We ran guns and meat. I was like, "What? We, so you were smugglers?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we were smugglers." And I was like, "What?" And you ran guns and meat? And I was like, "Okay, I get the guns, but you ran meat?" And they, he went, "You know, people." <laughs> and the, so Disney has hired as their housekeepers guys who used to traffic in white slavery. That's what it was. I mean, they were they were human traffickers. And uh, it just, just absolutely crazy. And it, they said it, you know, meat, because yeah. everybody knows what you mean when you say, yeah. Caleb, had I not been found, had I been grabbed in uh, Tokyo, I might have <laughs> been the meat they were talking about. <laughs> There's a. You run into. When I was working for Disney, too, you talk about running into the authorities. One of the, I don't know what it is, but no matter where I go, people always think that I am a native. And they. When I was in Europe the first time, people would come up to me and immediately I was in Germany and they would come up to me and assume I was German, that which, makes, which makes sense because I, I look really German for anyone who hasn't seen me before. Uh, but that happened like everywhere. And when I was working for Disney, we'd come into port in the United States and you turn in your your immigration papers, your passport and stuff, that's held by the ship while you work on it. And then oh. you get a little pass, uh, like an ID, and that's how you get in and out of immigration and customs every time you dock in the United States. So, you know, like I am going through immigration and I'm going through customs two times a week. Uh, when we would dock in port in Florida. And I'd go through with all of the other people because it's only like 5% Americans in the crew uh, out of 1,000 crew members. And if you were not American, you had a form called an I-95, which you used in place of your passport to to get into the country. So I would go, it was always, every time, and everyone who worked with me can vouch for this, I would go through... And they would always pull me and like six Jamaican guys and we would get searched. Like all of our bags, everything would get searched. And then they would send me to immigration. And they sent me to immigration one day and they're like, all right, we need to see your papers. And I would hand in my ship ID, which is all you had to do if you were American. Because it says that your country of origin is the United States and all that stuff. And then they let you through. And he goes, no, no, I don't need this. I need, uh," he goes, I need your I-95. I said, I don't have an I-95. And he goes, well, then you can't get into the United States. I said, yeah, I can't because I'm an, I'm an American citizen. I don't have an I-95 because I-95s are for people who are residents of other countries. You know, it's for, you know, international citizens who are traveling. And he goes, 
well, you're not getting in here without one. And I said, but I'm an American. I don't, I don't have one. And he, he's got my ID and he's looking at it and he says, okay, if you're an American, what, what city are you from? I said, Minneapolis. And he said, all right, spell it. <laughs> and that was how he, so I spell it for him. And I was like, M-I-N-N-E-A-P-O-L-I-S. And he stops and he looks at the car because <laughs> he has to check and make sure that that's how it is spelled. And he goes, all right, I guess I'll let you in this. But that's how they're, that is our border security. That is pre-September 11th, but it blew my mind. Yeah, they, and when I was coming back from uh, from uh, Toronto once from an improv festival, it's like they don't think what the second question's going to be. Mm-hmm. So like he clearly had an issue with me. It was before you had to have um, your passport yeah, to yeah. get across. So I had like a... I think I had a copy of my birth yeah, you could. It used to be that you could just get into Canada yeah. with a waffle. Yeah, yeah. If you had a waffle, they'd let you in. <laughs> and he kind of had the same thing, so he started asking me some questions off of the sheet, you know. And then, like, he stumped and he's frustrated, and I think he knew he had to let me in. But, he was, <laughs> but then he gets really aggressive and quiet, and he's like, say the pledge. <laughs> and I'm totally panicked, because I haven't said the pledge since fifth grade. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. That was maybe the greatest episode of anything that's ever been recorded, ever. I hope you liked the show. If you liked it, please tell people about it. I'd really, really appreciate it. Okay. Bye.